Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With lockdown limitations continually adjusting and the summer now looking us beautifully in the eye, we continue with regular discussions about our respective horticultural worlds. Putting the pandemic's grip on us aside, we sincerely hope that you found enough moments to quietly contemplate, distract yourself, gaze in wonder and generally pour positive and fruitful energy into this most glorious and rewarding of hobbies, which, for Saul and myself, we are lucky enough to also call our profession. Restrictions are still with us, experiences are still unprecedented, but Lucy and I hope that by providing you with a continued shortened version of this podcast every few days, you can easily fit a small dose of horticultural musings into your routine. We will, of course, still bring you longer bonus episodes too, when we chat to inspirational peers on more in-depth gardening topics. So fire up the kettle, get comfortable in your favourite chair and join us now for a 20-minute escape into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. Lucy, we've hit another milestone in the podcast. I know it was only a few episodes ago that we celebrated hitting 25 episodes, but we've just hit 10,000 downloads in total for the whole of the podcast. Now, isn't that amazing? That really is amazing. Oh, do you know what? When I Because you get a little notification email, don't you, from, from Buzzsprout? And uh, I saw it this morning and I, oh, do you know, what a way to start your Sunday morning. I'd got my latte, my pastry, and I was just checking my mails and there you go. And we knew it was coming because you do get a little, little bit of a uh, account up to these uh, to these events. But isn't it isn't it lovely? I, you know, we I never, never thought that these kind of numbers would be something that we'd be talking about so uh, thank you so much to everyone who's given us a chance and listened to us and uh, we just hope that we are keeping you entertained and can keep doing so because um we we love doing this don't we it's 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 weird because when we hit 100 listens for the first episode i was over the moon <laughs> i remember being like <laughs> this is brilliant yeah we were 100 people or 100, <laughs> at least 100 people um times our podcast been listened to and i was and now i'm thinking ten thousand. and what's that we're into five mm-hmm. months of doing it so that's like two thousand listens a month that's mm-hmm. that is that is yeah that's really weird to think about isn't it's it it's nice numbers and we do like i say we do know that a lot of the listeners are not not just based in the uk but internationally and that again is just something that we had not really anticipated and it's incredible to think that people think that they'd like to listen to us even though they're not even in the UK and understanding our gardening season maybe you know they've got a completely different climate going on different plants you know we do talk about the weather a lot in the UK (laughs) so um yeah you know it's 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 really really special so so yeah thank you thank you thank you to everyone who's listening yeah yeah I think thank you is the biggest yeah really thank you for listening Mm. and please continue listening because hopefully It'll be your cup of tea and we'll keep bringing out quality content. Yeah, I was going to say we've got loads more waffle, but no, quality content is what we've got. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise known as waffle. Um, And having said that, uh, people are getting in touch with us, which is lovely to say how much they love the podcast, but lots of people do ask us questions. Yes. So we thought we'd do one question uh, now Mm -hmm. um, by uh, someone on Twitter called... Tufty McTavish. Now, I don't know if that's his actual name, but <laughs> if lovely, it is, fantastic it? name. Rolls off the tongue. Um, and Tufty, yeah, Tufty asked us um, how we keep the temperatures controlled in our greenhouse. 
So I know you've been in the greenhouse this weekend doing lots of work uh, and it's all singing or dancing. So what are your main uh, ways of controlling the temperature, Lucy? So the the way that I try to ensure that we've got good ventilation at the greenhouse at home, this is not the hall, this is our greenhouse at home, which is still being constructed. So we're a little bit hand to mouth this year because things aren't quite ready, but but that's just just how life is sometimes, is uh, we've got window vents, um, which we open, there's two at the front, two at the back so they get opened up and they are quite low down on the greenhouse we've also got two roof vents on either end of the greenhouse so that's four in total and what will happen is as you open the side vents which are quite low down they suck in cold air and then the heat rises in the uh, greenhouse uh, into the roof and then it gets sucked out of the roof vents and so there's this continual flow of air that's cool from low down up into the roof and out through the, the, the top vents when it gets too hot. And that in itself creates a lovely airflow and it should allow the greenhouse temperature to be fairly comfortable and it's working. So I'm really, really pleased. You're supposed to have, I think, can't you, in the roof or the ventilation area, about a third of your floor surface surface area as vents, as a, as a rough guide. Um, oh, okay. The, yeah, there's a formula out there, but I think it also does depend on, as I say, the, the height of the vents. You know, if you have them just all in the roof, it might not be as effective as having some low right. down. Um, but that's, you know, a, a general guide to follow. Yeah, we, we've... Um... Both at Stonelands and at home, uh, we also use shade cloth, um, but not the stuff that sits permanently. You can either get uh, shade cloth that you put on your greenhouse, or you can actually even paint the what, what, what used to be called whitewashing your windows to reduce the amount of uh, sunlight, the UV transmission. But uh, we've got um, sort of sails that you can actually pull down. They're on automatic rollers. Um, now, mm. what's interesting about the setup at Stonelands and at home is at Stonelands, the rollers are on the outside. And that is the way you would really traditionally do it because you want to stop the sun from getting through the glass and warming up the interior mm. space. Um, and therefore, you need the sails on the outside to do that. Now, at home, funnily enough, I actually take the opposite way in that my sails on the inside. Because I grow, what I grow are all these exotics, my orchids, etc., which actually like elevated temperatures. Although I yeah. don't want the temperatures to be too high say um above 30 35 i do still actually want to have the temperatures in the high 20s so my um shades are internal so it stops the plants getting cooked but it keeps the temperatures still up in the greenhouse and again i've got louvre vents on the side and then a nice big uh, automatic vent in the roof so i get that lovely airflow i also when the temperatures get really high which they have been getting you know this may has been quite hot um, I have uh, a temperature sensor set up that automatically switches on a fan, so that will increase the amount of airflow going through the through the greenhouse. It doesn't come on that often, yeah. but when it goes plus thirty five, it'll switch on and keep the airflow going. So uh, all these things generally keep the temperature below thirty. That's the magic for me. That's the magic number is keeping it high twenties, but below the thirty degree mark. Yeah. And also, first thing in the morning, I do go into my greenhouse and I, d- I damp down, which essentially yeah. is taking a um, either a hose pipe or a handheld lance or even a watering can and literally obviously watering all the plants in the greenhouse. But then you also water the floor and the soil or the compost or the gravel or whatever it might be. Some, if it's a really hot day, I'll also water the sides, so the glass and the wood. So the wood gets most moisture in it and then it radi- gets that off as the 
the, the day passes. So it, it evaporates that moisture, which creates a lovely human atmosphere, but it also has this lovely cooling effect. You can feel the temperature drop quite significantly as soon as you start damping down. So that's another thing that you can do. As I said, I would do it first thing in the morning before the heat of the day. Say if you've got to go out mm. to work or whatever, or you're away from the, from the greenhouse, damp down in the morning. Open the vents. If it's going to be a really hot day, open the door as well. If it can be a really, really hot day, get those shade vents, um, shade blinds, sorry, that are on the ex- outside of the roof. Roll those down. Job done. Yeah, well, I hope that answers your question, uh, Tufty. And um, if anyone else has got a question, we were just talking about this. We'd love to get more questions featured on the podcast. And we might even yeah. do a separate episode on it. So uh, ask us as way. And uh, probably the main way of doing that is through our social media, through Twitter. So um, that'd be great. Exactly. Anyway, yep. we've just discussing that we're starting to see a lot of pests coming on our crops. And I know, especially in vegetable gardens, they can be quite uh, debilitating towards growing good yields. Um, as the temperatures increase... So does the reproduction rates of most of uh, the the insects uh, that we call uh, pests in this country. So we thought we'd have a little chat about how we control them. So um, I'll let you uh, I'll let you lead on that one, Lucy. Well, yeah, I mean, the, there's there's various ways. You've got the uh, cultural methods, which we'll go into. Then you've got uh, obviously um, chemicals. So by that we use we're talking about organic and inorganic sprays. And um, biological controls is another method that's actually proving quite popular. And I've, I've used those at the hall with really good effects. So, so there's there's lots of different ways to control pests. And um, for example, one can be um, breaking the life cycle of the pest. So I uh, grow carrots and parsnips in the kitchen garden. I know that if I didn't cover them in insect-proof mesh and rotate them onto fresh ground, they might get infected with carrot root fly. So to me, that's a really, really easy way. These insect meshes are, are fantastic. They're a little bit expensive, but you can use them for, oh gosh, probably 10 years once you've invested in, in a sheet of the material. It's very, very finely woven. Um, so the insects can't physically pass through the mesh. It's very, very fine, but it still allows light and moisture and air and everything else to flow through. So do you, you use those at um, Stoneland's store? The, uh, we don't use the, the butterfly meshes, but I, I think I should on mostly on my brassicas because um, that is probably the one thing that actually uh, debilitates uh, my kale and especially my uh, PSB, my purple sprout and broccoli. Um, mm. And it's usually the large white, the old white cabbage butterfly. So I think I yeah. might try because um, we've got we've got larger mesh um, uh, netting, mostly for birds, pigeons, etc. Especially for things like peas and the raspberries, the soft fruit. They absolutely love the soft fruit, which is really annoying. Um, I must say, the one thing we don't have at Stonelands is a huge amount of um, what I would call insect um, break, uh, you know, breakouts. <laughs> Is that the word? I think so. Um, where you yeah, get population a, explosions. That's it. Population that explosions. It? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Because the one thing I've tried to work at Stonelands is getting the whole, and this is probably what you would term under a cultural method, is to try mm. and get the whole ecosystem, the biology of the garden, to work for itself. So mm. we try and make sure there's lots of bird life, um, lots of um, sort of con- natural control methods as it were so i don't really always get a huge breakout and when i do i i don't tend to try and intervene too much um when i know it is affecting the plants to you know uh, uh, like talking about the large cabbage white 
um, especially on the brassicas. That's yeah. something I really do need to get on top of in control because I can't have broccoli like I had last year where there was just one little tiny spear and it didn't really look that good. Um, but when there's a little bit of like aphids or um, something, you know, just a little bit of insect damage here, I try and leave it and let the let the birds or, or something deal with it um the one thing i won't do at stonelands is use chemical sprays i'm i'm just not i'm not a big fan on pesticides um i i think you've got to remember in the in the catalog of what we've got available to us in the terms of man-made uh, control methods um you've got your pesticides your weed killer and then your fungicides and out of all of those i really think the pesticides especially are probably the really nasty evil one uh in terms of the ecosystem in our gardens in that they're not that discriminatory uh, you know some of the weed killers can be specifically tailored to the plants they're trying to kill but i i've not yet i don't think found a pesticide that doesn't kill everything it touches and therefore it's killing off all the good stuff all, all your ladybird larvae your lacewing larva all your all your all your, and then those things that aren't even involved in your in your pest management like bees etc butterflies mm. um you don't really want to be touching those so i don't really use chemical sprays and especially um not in the vegetable garden um the one thing i haven't tried yet though and what you were saying with the biological controls because obviously there are and every year i must say it probably about 15 years ago in my career that uh, these biological controls were still quite new and people didn't really understand them so much but now there are so many different um biological controls you can get for all very specific insects and what i really like about them is they can be very specific um whether you're using uh a predatory a predatory uh, insect, uh, a ladybird or a, a wasp to actually target the the pest, or whether you're using something like a, a fungus or some kind of um, bac bacterial entity to actually also again tailored to a very specific insect. So I really like the idea of those. Um, I wondered what was your experience with them? Have you found them useful? Are they easy to use? Yeah. Well, I, I noticed last year that we we got we'd replanted our strawberry bed because the strawberries were struggling in the fruit cage, and so I got in loads of new runners, loads of new stock, and early, mid, late, and perpetual. And I was like, right, great, we've got this nail, we've got new um, plants, nice and vigorous. And then they went and got vine weevil damage really quite badly in the the summer and the autumn, so they're notching around the the perimeter of the leaves. And I thought, oh gosh, I for for me, I I um I. I know we can't use them as a amateurs now anyhow, but sort of soil-based um, pesticides. I, I like you. I I I I do proceed with caution when it comes to pesticides at the hall. They're not organic, so we do have access to them. I don't use any that are professional. I only use the amateur level products because they're not too they're not too potent. So. Um, and you don't because you're not having to wear protective clothing for these these um, chemicals. You're not having to wear your um, your mask and your visors and things like that. You know that the toxicity of them is is it's still got to be you've got to be respectful about them. But they're not as 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 noxious as potentially the professional products are. Um, I don't like using anything that you apply direct to the soil specifically. I think that's like you say it's very very harsh. So I thought, right, I'm going to use the nematode, the biocontrol that you buy. Um, it comes in different formulations now. You can get it as like a sort of loose 
um, almost like freeze dried kind of like uh, consistency or you can get it in a, a clay block that you then put into your watering can and you dissolve it with water and then you drench that onto the affected plants. Um, so I did this for vine weevil. You can also get a nematode that's very effective against slugs. Uh, so not so much against snails because they don't tend to um, stay in the ground for quite a long time but slugs do tend to complete most of their life cycle in the soil so that's why the nematodes can can work on them do you know what i was out there strawing the strawberries uh a couple of days ago because they're just starting to color up there's not a sign of vine weevil uh, adult damage whatsoever there's no notches oh, so okay. really really good really good i do think that there's a few um caveats to their success i think you've got to make sure that the soil is sufficiently warm it's got to be sufficiently moist so warm enough so that the nematodes can uh breed and and stay alive and moist enough so that they can move through the soil water to travel to the um the, the parts that they want to reach so that I know on heavy clay soils, they're not quite so successful. We've got a lovely open sandy soil at Donnellan, so it did work really, really well. And I applied it in the autumn. The uh, vine weevil grubs at that size were not, they were just the right, it was just the right time. I think I applied it in late August going into September. The grubs weren't too big. Uh, one thing though that I, and I always, when I'm teaching people, the because I, I lecture for the RHS and I, I teach these gardening courses to beginners, and I say biocontrol is great because it's not um, using any chemicals at all. It's just using the, the power of parasites and predators. But what the nematodes will do, um, they will cause septicemia of the grubs, of the of right. slugs and of the vine weevil grubs. They will actually cause them to get blood poisoning. Mm, and they have gruesome. a really slow lingering death. It can take oh. them days and days and days, if not a couple of weeks, to actually die. So although it's environmentally friendly as such because these um, predators and parasites have obviously been tested to make sure that they're not like invasive non-natives they're not going to mm. proliferate and cause problems themselves they're safe in that respect to use but they're not kind they're evil you know there are yeah. some like you said okay. you mentioned the, the fungi that can be really harsh they eat mm. caterpillar from the inside out bacteria the same uh, <laughs> nature's weapons can be quite cruel in their mode of action but yeah, they are very specific, as you say, and um, they they do if applied if applied in the right conditions, they do do a really good job. Yeah, I I think there is it encarsia, uh, there's the wasp that I think is for aphids. Yeah, encarsia for most. Yeah. and there's one for white for white, white fly. fly yeah. That's it, and yeah. it and it literally yeah. eats them from the inside out, doesn't it, or something like that? I I don't know. Yes, it oh. does. It does. So yeah, yeah. It absolutely does. Apply that. it when you're yeah, not all eating. These... That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the key, and the key with whether you're using biological, cultural, or chemical, is you. And, and this goes back to something we were saying. I forgot if it was last episode or the episode before. It's, it's all about observation and making sure you understand mm. which part of the life cycle your pest is in, because sometimes there can be specific applications of different things to specific life cycles. So making sure you get the predatory insect in at the right time. Things like vine weevil, yeah. for instance, you must get them when the grubs are in the soil. Once they've left the soil and mm -hmm. they're adults, it's useless. Nothing's going to work for them. Yeah. So it's really worth knowing exactly what time to apply uh, and getting to know your pests in some way. You become sort of um, amateur uh, entomologists 
as it were, just yeah. just understanding. Yeah. Well, that's where that's where social media is so good. If you've got a pest in your garden and you're not sure what it is, and I see people doing this time and time again, and please do do it, photograph it, pop it up on social media, tag in a few people you think, oh, they might know, um, or a few gardening names you think maybe they could sort of retweet it or whatever. You will within you know within half a day you will get an answer for what that that pest is you can then jump onto something like for example the rhs website the gardens well websites have a look at those there will be full details there of the current uh, approved recommendations for control whether it be cultural chemical or uh, biological whatever it might be so it's it's even if you're a novice and you're not quite sure about what pests are attacking your plants the the route to getting your answer these days is is very very quick. So one thing I should add as well is the um, things like picking off pests. Actually, we've got um, a circle of lavender in the um, the the sundial garden where the rose beds are, and the so lavender and rosemary will get rosemary beetle. I noticed it um, as soon as it gets warm, rosemary beetles will start to go crazy and the asparagus beetle on the asparagus bed. But what I've managed managed to do is I I meticulously go through and I pick off all the adults that I see and I will be doing this um, every, it's taken me about a fortnight, but I keep methodically going through. I pick them off. I do then chuck them on the floor and I squash them. So, you know, I've got to kill them. All these things do actually, you know, eventually kill mm. things either the biocontrol which just said they kill things in the most gruesome way so it's literally chucking it on the ground and stamping on it i'm hoping it's a quick way of getting rid of things but you again that's not using any non-organic chemicals um you know it's quite a an effective uh, as long as you're methodical and on top of things it's quite a, a, an effective way of controlling numbers can i also just add as well that as i say we you know chemicals there are organic sprays as well as non-organic. So organics are things like the fatty acids, the rapeseed oils. Um, I know people use sulfur these days. I have a question mark over sulfur, as in garlic, sorry, I should say garlic is um, a spray that's used and made by people in their own kitchens as a, as a garlic spray, as a, a sort of pest control. But I still have a question mark over it because I, I don't think it's actually been given legal approval, has it? Um, no, and th th there's lots of different chemical combinations or just homemade brews. And as professionals, mm. we, we can't actually say you can use them because there is a very strict code of chemical uh, garden chemicals out there. Uh, and unless it's approved... We can't actually recommend it. And we come up against this when we do our expert panels at Gardener's World Live, mm. don't we? And that lots of people ask us about soap sprays, garlic sprays, different concoctions of herbs put together. And although they yeah, they may they may seem harmless, we we as professionals can't recommend them because that's actually technically against the law. So um, if you yeah. do use these things, yeah. that's up to you. I, I don't think it's legal to use them. I just think it's illegal mm. for us to actually recommend them for use. Um, yeah. yeah. So, exactly. you know, get used to your pests. Again, it's just a, a thing to observe and learn about, I guess. Um, now, before we close up, uh, we really wanted to say a big thank you to uh, one person, uh, and it's Katrina, who runs a YouTube channel called Homegrow Garden. And we just picked up yesterday that she had recommended or plugged our podcast on her May allotment um, video. 
and it came out of the blue, really, and uh, we just stumbled on it. And we'd just like to really say thank you to Katrina for doing that. Uh, we think you've pushed yes. a lot of people to our podcast. Uh, we've had some good numbers this weekend. So um, she <laughs> she uh, has an allotment at St. Anne's Allotments in Nottingham, which are these allotments that are actually private in that they're all surrounded and like rooms. It's quite an, a unique setup. Um, and she's really mm. good. She's, she's young um, and she's very enthusiastic. And I think she's learning her way into it. But what she's doing there is amazing. And I, and I really enjoy watching her videos. Yeah, I know the, the allotment, Katrina. Honestly, it's it's. I love the fact that it feel it felt really enclosed and very secret and mm. lovely. Because a lot of allotments, as you say, are very open. There's mm. no boundaries. You're you're sharing onto your neighbours, which is a very sociable and lovely space. But this is completely different. This is very intimate and. Yeah, you're lovely. I think they're the oldest allotments in the country. Yeah. I'm sure I've heard her mention that on her podcast. So anyway, go to her YouTube channel. It's called Homegrown Garden. Um, and yeah, have a look and hopefully you'll enjoy it too. So that concludes today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening and would love any feedback or reviews you feel compelled to give us via your preferred podcast provider or social media platform. Life in the garden and out of it continually evolves for all of us. There is now reference to a new kind of normal and we are excited to hope that this will bring opportunities to visit gardens, friends and colleagues old and new so we can gradually adjust from virtual to actual worlds. Specialist nurseries, gardening charities, small businesses and self-employed individuals will still rely on us for financial support and encouragement over the coming weeks and months. We hope everyone in this profession is digging deep and finding ways to flourish. We are continually thinking of you all. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.